Drive to the pass. Hold it. Defense. Number 33. Five-yard penalty. Automatic. First down. Greetings and welcome to the 4th and Inches podcast. I'm your host, Sukdeep Puni, and we are here to discuss the championship playoff matches. Um, so we have the AFC championship and the NFC championship games, and we now know which two teams are going to be contesting in the Super Bowl. So we've got the Cincinnati Bengals against the Los Angeles Rams, which... You know, if we thought about this a few years ago when we were watching the Bengals and the Rams in London, I think none of us would have quite <laughs> sort of believed that. Um, but it, it's just amazing how quickly the NFL just turns around, isn't it? Like, you know, I think that's one of the things I love about the NFL. You can have yeah. a team that didn't win anything the previous year or years, in fact, and suddenly exactly. they're in the Super Bowl. Um, and it's just amazing. But I have to pick you up on something, though. There are three teams in the Super Bowl, I think you'll find. There's a team in black and white as well. There are, indeed. And I know very well, after watching the Super Bowl last year with the Bucks and having that scrutiny there, that the officiating is a, a very, very impactful role and um, what these guys are doing. So, Roger, let, um, do we know now who's um, who's been given the honour do we do. The, the, the referee, as predicted, is Ron Talbot. Um, there is a crew, but it's not his crew. It is right. an all-star crew um, and features uh, many regular names that have been in previous Super Bowls, as well as people who've been in previous championship games. Mm-hmm. The key thing with the Super Bowl uh, and the championship rounds, in fact, that we just witnessed and we'll come back to that in a second, is that in order to get into those rounds, you need to be in the top tier of officiating. And and what I mean by that is there are five tiers within NFL officiating. So over the season, every play is ranked. So the the officials are ranked on on calls they made and calls they didn't make that they should have made. So every single play is evaluated. And, And most people think that the officials don't really answer to anybody but it's it's not true at all every week they're graded by their 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 bosses basically and yeah. told when they've done it right or when they haven't and only those that are grading in the top one tier are getting to the championship and to the NFL uh, Super Bowl so uh, it's it's a it's a, a rare atmosphere when you get up here so that the, they're held to high regard but they are the best officials that, that there are in the country so no, fantastic. And congratulations. And congratulations to you, Roger, for getting um, the correct official. So, you know, that's, well, I, I won't uh, take all the credit. It's the crew at Football Zebras and myself that uh, are responsible, yeah. not just myself. So, exactly. Well, what we're going to do now is take a step back and sort of relive some of the key officiating moments that we had um, with the AFC and NFC Championship games. So, um, let's. Let's pretty much start with the um, the AFC Championship game. So this is between the Bengals um, and the Kansas City Chiefs. So the first play we're going to talk about is uh, a call that was in the second quarter. Um, 
So did did someone message you about intentional grounding then? This is the Joe Burrow. Yeah, you get the occasional call where people say, shouldn't that have been? Um, And uh, this is a prime example of that. Um, And and first thing I would say, we aren't going to discuss a great deal of plays today. And that's a good thing. Um, It means that officiating generally wasn't the topic of the games. And we said it before, but it it is so key, which the officials do not want to be the centre of attention, despite what some people may say. They would quite happily have a game where nobody noticed they're there. And that's a good game. Now, obviously, they need to get involved and they need to get involved at the key moments where there is a real competitive disadvantage or advantage made. But you'll find that as the as teams progress, a couple of things happen, which is you get generally fewer calls. Now, people have said in the past, well, you know, they're not calling the plays that they would have called. And, and, and sometimes that's true. But it's actually a lot of it is down to the teams that are playing. Generally, the teams that get further are better disciplined. And therefore, you're likely to have fewer flags. Just, just you know, you put that probability together. Um, and you're likely to have uh, fewer flags thrown on the play. Um, so that, that that's something worth noting before we actually start talking about the plays and realise there aren't too many. But this sure. particular one does come into to, to, to a question mark. Um, so what, what we had is we have Cincinnati on offence and they're, they're driving and they're under a bit of pressure. And the quarterback looks to get away with, from, or should I say, um, a sack. And he's in the pocket and he throws the ball somewhere roughly in front of him in a bit of a hurry. So yeah. just wanted to quickly talk about intentional grounding because intentional grounding is a foul, but any throwing the ball away isn't always a foul. And it's important to realise the difference and when you can and when you can't throw the ball away. So the first thing is that the quarterback, in order to legally throw the ball away, assuming that he doesn't do it when he's under pressure, and to just put that one to one side, he needs to get out of the pocket. Um, So the pocket is defined as being the tackle on the left side to the tackle on the right side, and you draw a line backwards. That's that's roughly speaking for layman's term where the pocket is. So he needs to roll out one way or the other. Um, He can be under pressure, but once he's out of that pocket... He can legally throw the ball away as long as it reaches the sideline past the line of scrimmage or reaches past the line of scrimmage in the middle or gets close to one of his players. Now, close when he's thrown away doesn't need to be exactly in line that's a catchable ball. You can throw it at the feet of of a player and that's close enough. Um, So in this particular play, he drops back but doesn't leave the pocket and he is under yep. pressure. So the, he cannot legally throw the ball away unless he's thrown it towards a player of his own team right. that's eligible to catch it, being the last important part. So you can't throw it towards a lineman and say, my player was in the area. It needs to be somebody who's allowed to catch that ball. Now, this is a particular play where he's under pressure, he's still in the pocket, he dumps it away, there's nobody near it. And I, I am surprised this was not picked yeah. up as intentional grounding um, because all of the criteria were met for intentional grounding. 
it was in a, a little bit of a hurry up situation and not a lot of attention was paid to it on the the broadcast no but i was going to say that was one thing i noticed as well it just was um there was absolutely nothing was there yeah, exactly. And, and and it should have been. And and I think under normal circumstances, it probably would have been. And the other key factor to, to make mention about this is intentional grounding is a crew call. And what I mean by that is there is no one official on the field who can call intentional grounding. So if we break down the elements we talked about, the quarterback needs to be out of the pocket. Well, who's going to see that? Well, that's going to be the referee. His primary responsibility is the quarterback. So he should be aware of whether the quarterback is in or out of the pocket. However, he should not be watching where the end of the pass goes to, because his primary responsibility when the ball is gone is to protect the quarterback. Yeah. If he's protecting the quarterback, he can't be watching where the ball's gone. And this goes back to um, a couple of years ago in the championship game, we had the, the infamous call on the Saints um, and Rams and the fact that it was a very bad pass interference call. And people blamed the referee, Vinovich, and said, well, it was Vinovich's crew, he shouldn't be working another game. Well, if Vinovich was watching the end of that play, he shouldn't be working another game because his primary responsibility is the quarterback. He should not be watching the pass interference. So to put yep. that onto Vinovich is completely wrong. There is, yep. In my knowledge, there has never been a referee position that has ever thrown a pass interference call. Yeah. So it's, you know, it, it's just not on him. Um, so, you know, people just need to zip it because they obviously don't understand what they're talking about. Um, but yeah. this particular play, so the quarterback is out of the pocket or in the pocket in this case. So the referee's watching that. He can't determine when the ball landed, whether it crossed the line of scrimmage or not. So he relies on um, his his team around him to tell him that there yeah. was either a receiver in the area and they will typically point to the receiver in question at the end of the play. And that's just a straightforward indication that, yep, there was a person, he was near enough. Therefore, that, as far as we're concerned, because, of course, the line of scrimmage people don't know whether the quarterback was in or out of the pocket. So they can't call the flag. So all they can do is feed the information that says, yeah, there was somebody there, or no, there wasn't, or no, the ball didn't get back to the line of scrimmage. So it's a crew call. So it, it, it's it's on the whole crew to communicate that this is this is a problem um, yeah. if it didn't get back to the line of scrimmage or there wasn't a player in, in the vicinity. And I don't know where the, the, the communication broke down. It could have been the line of scrimmage people not saying to the referee that there was nobody in the area. Because as far as the referee is concerned, the quarterback was still in the pocket. But if, if the ball went somewhere near a player, he, he, he's got nothing to call. So it's a crew call, and I don't know why it broke down, but it, it, it should have been called, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, there you have it. Was uh, um, corner had a very, very difficult time, especially in the first two quarters of the game. Um, Eli Apple, bless his heart, um, struggled. He struggled quite a lot in the playoffs, to be honest, and he, he was pretty much touched in the first half of the game um, and one particular play that was obviously notable was this pass interference call against him um, on Tyree Kill so uh, this came at a crucial point in the matchup as well when we it looked as if the Chiefs were going to sort of you know 
build a, a ma- well, they did build a massive lead, but you know, sort of the game <laughs> yeah. pretty much looked over, didn't it, at that point? So, uh, talk us through this a particular okay. defensive passage so for, for people at home. Your microphone broke up at the beginning of there, so we're, we're still right. talking about the same game. It's nine minutes in on the second quarter, and there was a pass interference call in the end zone. So Apple has been picked on many times over the season, and this is a, a good example of where the, the a good offense will highlight his weaknesses. So the receiver goes downfield, he cuts to the inside and immediately cuts towards the corner um, of the, the field in the end zone. And Apple, realizing he's beaten, grabs hold of him briefly. And then the, the ball from the quarterback lands just outside the end zone in the deep corner of the the pylon, near the pylon. So a couple of things in, in play here that I just want to mention. So first of all, the difference between defensive holding and pass interference. So at the moment that Apple grabbed hold of the receiver, it was unlikely that the ball was in the air. It hadn't already been thrown. Therefore, that should be defensive holding because you can't have the pass interference until there's a pass. So obviously, if you yeah. grabbed him at this point, it can't be pass interference because you haven't got it. So the first thing is it's defensive holding at this point. Now, defensive holding can turn into pass interference if the hold continues to the point where the ball is in the air. <laughs> so it can be both. Um, so the, the mechanics of the play are the, the, the person who's watching the receiver as soon as they see what is potentially a, 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 a foul, either defensive holding or what could be um, pass interference, they look back to see if the quarterback has thrown the ball. Now, obviously, there's a slight delay in this. And if they turn back to the quarterback and it looks like the ball's in the air, they will call it as pass interference when it may be technically defensive holding. But because yep. of that transition between looking at the receiver then going, right, okay, there's, a, there's an offence made here. Now look at the quarterback. Is he throwing? Yeah, it's left his hand. Okay, it's therefore pass interference. However, technically, until that pass is made, it is defensive holding. Yep. Now, the third element that I would like you to look at this is where does the ball end up landing? And it lands out of bounds and fairly significantly out of bounds into the sort of area where the um, photographers stand at the end of the pitch Mm. or field, as the Americans would say. Um, And you cannot have pass interference on a pass that is not catchable. Now, we know that the NFL receivers are very athletic. So the definition of catchable is a very broad one because they can cover lots of yards very quickly. They can make very athletic dives. They can make leaps into the air that are, you know, beyond most people's comprehension. So give the benefit of the doubt to the receiver. Potentially, they can get many balls. However, if a ball lands six feet out of bounds the likelihood is they couldn't get to that ball. And this is where it comes into the official who called it, saw an offence, let's say holding, just for sake of an argument, looked back to the quarterback, saw that the ball was in the air and said, okay, this is now, as far as I'm concerned, DPI. They're watching those two elements, and they may not be watching where the ball ended up landing. And this is where another official on the field could come in and help. So they're not looking at that 
um, receiver. They're not looking at the, the offense that's just happened. They can concentrate on less information. Um, and they can say, well, the ball ended up, you know, six, eight feet out of bounds. Really, was that catchable? And, and they should be running in to talk to the other official who flagged it and said, I had the ball landing eight feet out of bounds. Are you sure it was catchable? What they're not saying is this shouldn't be a foul, but they're saying to the official, has it met all the criteria? Yeah. They can still decide, yep, yeah, as far as I was concerned, if he hadn't been hold, he would have got to that ball. But it just allows them to question that element. And then as a crew, sometimes you'll see them wave it off because they got together, crucial bit of information went, yeah, you're right. Actually, I saw the offence and I really didn't see where the ball landed and, and that's a key element and I should have had that. And that com crew communication is, is key and that's what should have happened here. The, the deep wing should have come in and said that ball was way out of bounds and uh, really should it be catchable at all. If it wasn't catchable at all, then we don't have that pass interference call. Um, potentially, we could have still had the holding call um, because obviously that did happen. And you can argue um, that in this situation, the quarterback not having a receiver to throw to because he was held ended up throwing the ball away because it's better to do that than obviously throw it and get it intercepted or to take yep. a sack. So definitely the, the defensive holding should have still been there. So let's not say there's no foul, but potentially it shouldn't have been past interference and the distance would have made a difference. But I just wanted to highlight the, the different elements that need to be considered there rather than just straightforward, was it past interference? Yeah, no, that's, that's fair enough. Thank you very much for that, Roger. Uh, definitely explains all the different elements and what it takes to just given you think you know simply just throw the flag there's so much that goes into making these decisions now the next play we're going to talk about is a Bengals punt which um, I believe was caught by um, Nicole Hardman um, the wide receiver um, in on special teams and a hit by one of the Bengals special team players on him and uh, the, the Chiefs weren't very happy with that were they no and and, and let's just take the term and um the, the definitions here and the terminology, because um, quite rightly, you said the receiver took the punt and I didn't see a fair catch signal, but I think it was called as a fair catch. And therefore he agrees not to return it. And the defense agree not to hit him. Now he was run into by one of the, um, the, the Cincinnati, uh, I think it was, um, um, chasers and there shouldn't have been any contact but what happened afterwards immediately afterwards was the receiver did a football and I mean in the soccer sense dive he took a, a, a an Oscar role basically and, and yeah. basically looked like he'd been killed um, and whatever he was trying to get he just undermined his case basically and we said before that you know, typical they will let them play in the higher series and, you know, a little bit of contact. He shouldn't have touched him at all, but he didn't really hit him uh, in, with any forcible contact. So he shouldn't have been near. So that's the first stage, but he didn't really hit him. Um, and the fact that he then took a dive, suddenly you lose all credibility for what you might have had. And when he shouldn't have touched him at all. And that dive is like, well, if, if we're going to call anything, we're going to call the interference on the catch. And then we're going to call unsportsmanlike conduct for the for the taking a dive. Um, but the better of the two calls is like, look, there's nothing there. You know, don't be stupid. Um, keep on your feet. 
there was no no contact there worthy of that Oscar winning um, performance. So it just wanted to highlight that you know occasionally you got to have a little bit of sense and say, yeah, you shouldn't have touched him, but neither should you have taken the dive. And the best best result is basically to say, look, get on with the game, play football. Yeah, that's fair enough. And the next play we're going to talk about is uh, a play, a pivotal play during overtime. This was the Joe Mixon run. What what is it that caught your eye with this particular play in overtime, Roger? So the first thing is this is in overtime. So we no longer have coaches challenge um, uh-huh. um, being in, involved. So we, it's all in the boot. And this particular play, um, two two aspects are involved in it. So Joe Mixon takes a run up the middle. He gets contacted, carries on a few steps, and maybe stumbles, or maybe uh-huh. the contact that he actually had made him fall over eventually, goes down to the ground, and he gets up, and in, in celebration of the fact he's just done a good play, he just drops the ball behind him. As far as he's concerned, the play is over. Yeah. So you have two different aspects of this. The first one is, when is a player down by contact? Um, and there doesn't need to be a direct, direct correlation between a, a, a defensive player touching the player who ends up on the ground and whether or not he ended up on the ground because of that. Um, so the fact that he was contacted and then stumbled, once he goes to the ground, that is dead and down by contact. However, that wasn't what was ruled on the play. What was ruled on the play was that Mixon gave himself up. And basically, if you go down and don't try immediately to advance the ball, then that is declaring yourself down um, on the ground. And and he he did make no attempt to, to advance that football. He just dropped the ball behind him. So the Kansas City uh, players presumed this was therefore a live ball and went to recover it. And that's what um, the coach was sort of looking to to replay, to, to sort of get involved in and saying, well, there was a clear recovery by us, um, but the ball um, was declared down. Can we not declare it not down? Um, and the answer is no, replay cannot get involved in this for two reasons. One, replay can't change a down by contact to be not down by contact. And secondly, um, the declaration or the decision by the on-field officials that says this player gave himself up is not reviewable because it's a judgment call. It's not whether or not he did or didn't. The fact is, as far as they were concerned, there was enough of the gap about him going down and giving up the ball that he was not advancing it. So it's not reviewable, even in overtime. Um, So it was correctly ruled um, that he was down and didn't advance the ball. Um, So some Kansas City fans were a bit upset about this because they thought there was an opportunity for Kansas to get the ball back. But in reality, he was down on in a couple of different ways and there was really nothing to argue. But by now they're getting desperate in overtime and uh, they want to throw a few questions in. Yeah, exactly. Now, we're going to move on to the NFC Championship now. So this is obviously the matchup between the NFC uh, West rivals, um, the LA Rams and the San Francisco 49ers. So the first play we're going to talk about is the Matthew Stafford interception and then the hit by uh, Fred Warner on Stafford way after the ball was thrown. So um, talk us through this one, Roger, and what what, what the officials should have done. Okay, so we talked earlier that the the referee's primary assignment after the pass has gone is to look after the quarterback. 
And that doesn't just apply to the immediate action of the ball having left his hand and what happens to him. It also applies to what happens to him on the rest of the play. Now, quarterbacks are a protected species in the NFL and most forms of sport, uh, most forms of American football at least. And um, the quarterback has protection after the play has gone and there is an interception, unless the quarterback actively involves himself in trying to block or tackle, then you can't just go and hit him. And obviously this is it's designed to, to stop people going, oh, quarterback's throwing the ball away. I've now got a chance just to take the quarterback out. Um, and, and that's why it's there. So the referee is responsible for following the quarterback's progress and making sure nobody has a cheap shot at him. And that's exactly what happened on this play. And it wasn't yep. severe, but it certainly was worthy of a flag. The player yeah, coming in, them yeah. The, the player comes in and he, he sort of almost headbutts him, but in a very loose sense of the word, not a Glasgow proper one. Um, but you know, <laughs> certainly he has a go at it. Um, and, and he shouldn't have been anywhere near him, and he certainly shouldn't have been anywhere near his helmet because he is a defenseless player in this example after the, the player's gone. Um, so it just wanted to highlight it now. It's completely away from most of what was happening. And it's easy for TV to pick up on it because they have a camera that followed the quarterback and just look at his reaction for the fact he throws the ball away or whatever. But equally, the referee should have been watching, making sure that Stafford was okay. Don't know why it was missed, but he certainly um, will probably kick himself for momentarily taking his attention away and looking where the ball had gone um, yeah. or wherever happened next. Of course. Uh, we're going to move on to a, um, this is from a punt return, and ironically, this is a Jane Ramsey on the receiving end of a, a face mask here uh, from Trenton Can Cannon. Um, so talk us through this particular play, um, okay. because it's rare so that Ramsey is the one getting it. <laughs> <laughs> it is rare that that way around, isn't it? So maybe somebody just thought it was reasonable to allow it, but no, anyway, joking aside, Kick plays from an officiating point of view are a nightmare. So if you look at a normal play, a normal play from scrimmage, most of the play is fairly condensed into a central area with a few outlying players going down for passes. And you have officials downfield specifically there to watch what happens to those downfield players. A kick play, on the other hand, is 22 players across a vast area of the pitch. And it's therefore very difficult to make sure that seven officials can watch 22 players and not miss anything. And this is what happened here, which is we had a gunner coming down. He wasn't the, the, the first of the, the um, people downfield, which would obviously be a, a, an area where it's easier to pick up the deep officials seeing those players come in to try and make a tackle. So he was in the second wave. And unfortunately, in that wash of players, this particular action was missed. Now, it should have been called. It, it was a, a face mask penalty. And, and just for a reminder, uh, face mask needs two components. Not only do you need to grab hold of the face mask or a, an opening of the helmet, but you then need to pull or twist on it. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, it definitely met the criteria. But unfortunately, the washer players coming downfield, it, it, it either wasn't visible enough that they may have seen a head movement and thought, hmm, that, that looks suspicious. But unless I see the hand and the pull, 
I can't call what I think might be there. I've got to call what is there, especially as we, we go up higher in the championship and Super Bowl. You don't want to be making calls that aren't there. Um, so yeah. whilst it looks odd and might, might have seen the end of it, you think, unless I've seen it all, I can't call it. Uh, and that's the right way to rule it. You don't want to just make up calls because they look bad. Uh, because sometimes you see action and you think, well, the end of that looked horrible. But if you didn't see the beginning of it, you realise that the player was pushed into the player and therefore not a foul by definition. But he obviously hit him. And if you only see the end of it, then you think, well, OK, he hit him, therefore it's a foul. But unless you see how he got there, you can't judge that. So it, it should have been cool, but it wasn't. Yep. I'm going to move on to uh, another play. This was the helmet to helmet hit uh, by Jimmy Ward on Odell Beckham, uh, another player who you know does cause a bit of controversy. But I'll, I'll be fair to Odell Beckham. You know, after the game, he, he got a bit of my respect because yeah, I me see too. Him consoling some of the 49ers players after the game, and yeah, I, I agree. He, he got my respect for the, exactly the same thing. He, his sportsmanship. Yeah after the game was very very good and he was yeah. he may uh, have some failings during the game that was definitely good sportsmanship at the end yeah exactly so um yeah talk us through the helmet to helmet head um, well I, I deliberately used helmet to helmet quotes in the description of this play because i wanted to just define that not all helmet to helmet is illegal so the commentators who are prone to a little bit of exaggeration every now and again, like to throw in the term helmet to helmet right. and imply a foul every Thank time. You. Yeah, exactly. It's not always the case that helmet to helmet is a foul. And so there are, I'll give you a couple of examples. So a runner who's just running through the middle, there can be incidental contact between his helmet as he breaks going through the line, and the defender who's trying to tackle him, um, if he's trying to tackle him. Um, yeah. However, this is a very good example of a couple of things. One, which is when helmet-to-helmet -helmet contact is illegal. And in the NFL, helmet-to-helmet -helmet contact is illegal when you initiate contact with the helmets. So basically, you're lining up a player, basically going with your helmet first in order to make contact. That is what helmet uh, contact is and it doesn't just have to be helmet to helmet you can have that for helmet into a body um, so it's just not helmet to helmet that's a foul yeah the second thing I wanted to mention if you look at this clip is we talked earlier about how the officials as we get into the stratosphere of championship and Super Bowl are the better of the officials I want you to watch the official on this play and he, a number of things happen he's fairly close to the play but clearly observes the incoming player lowering his helmet to initiate contact to the other player's helmet. Yeah. Calls a flag on it, but it's not over at that point. He needs to obviously make note of what the penalty is and who the penalty is on and where the penalty is, but the play isn't over. These two mm -hmm. players now are in, and his teammates who are in support, suddenly come in and go, well, I didn't like that. And he needs to continue to officiate. And you see him not only separate the players, make sure that they don't get into any afters, but he also crucially indicates that he, what he had at the end of the play and the clock status. And all of this is done calmly. Yeah. Uh, it's not in a rush. 
he knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's seen. He's clearly indicated to the rest of the crew what he's got, as well as continuing to officiate the play. And for me, that is a prime example of a really perfect officiating. So that's why I wanted to hire, not just because they're helmet helmet, but the actual the way it was handled by the officials on the field. Yeah. I, I thought that as well. That, that's funny you say that, just going back to it now. I do just remember the sort of slight pause and then, you know, you know, the, the flag going. It wasn't any sort of drama, was it? Like it just seemed like it was inevitable that it was going to get called and then the flag was just sort of thrown yeah. so yeah that's yeah, uh, casually yeah. it's not it's not thrown in aggression it's not like well no. this is a shock it's like i've seen it it's down on yeah. the ground but we're yeah. still on yeah let's not create a drama with it no that's that's fair enough um now the the last play we're going to talk about on this particular show um is to do with a, a challenge that was made by sean mcveigh on a, a carl juice check run but i thought mcveigh I mean, I, I mean, a lot gets said about his coaching and, you know, him being offensive. Garofi, I thought he panicked a bit in this particular game, didn't he? And I think this was a prime I, I example a, of one. I think he had a terrible game from a coaching yeah. perspective. I mean, the, I the team obviously progressed and that's, at the end of the day, you know, what he'll be remembered for. But this, the reason why I wanted to highlight this was that this was called in a fairly early stage of the game. We're 10 minutes 42 into quarter four. Yeah. So we know that coaches can call a challenge anything up to two minutes out, and then it goes automatically to booth review. So there is a, a large chunk of very important game time to be had here. Um, and he throws a challenge on what is probably, a, at best, a gamble. And I, I mean it best, and that, that's been generous to him. You know, it's a play that really wasn't that um, likely to win just because of, you know, what happened. And and, and then the, the player goes down. And um, the question mark is, obviously, is he down before the ball comes out? But we yeah. are talking about a player who's in the middle of, middle of the line with, you know, seven, eight other players around him all trying to stop him. The likelihood of having a replay angle that would have shown clearly that he wasn't down and that the ball came loose before it was ruled to be um, over is really unlikely. And, and from a, a coaching point of view, you know, you don't want to throw, you know, your hat in the ring when you don't really have a chance of winning because at that crucial point of the game, you really want to save that call. I mean, I know it's a crucial time in the game and, and they, you know, they were, they were down by three and obviously San Francisco were driving and you want to stop them. And, you know, a turnover at that point in the game would have been crucial. So let's not get away from the fact that the result would have been a very defining moment. But the chances of winning that result were remote, yeah. to say the least. And it was really to highlight that um, replay can't always bail you out even when you think there might be some sort of um, element there that, that doesn't look right um, just because of you know, you know even with all the best camera angles in the world with a myriad of players around you're not always going to get an angle that's actually going to see anything useful and the call on the field was that the player was down so yeah. remembering the rule we have to have clear indisputable evidence that he wasn't down 
and that the ball came loose and that the other team recovered it. So they're the components that need to be in play. And just frankly, it was a, a, a poor coaching decision to try and actually yeah. overturn this play. Um, and he lost the challenge. Then no more challenges for remaining eight minutes of the game at a very yeah. crucial um, um, time. So it was, exactly. it was really just to highlight the replay. It wasn't the be all and end all for coaches. And yeah. they, need to, they need to respect when it can be usable. Yeah, 100%. But, you know, there you have it. At the end of the day, he's, he's still got his team to the Super Bowl. Uh, thanks to, you know, a great play by the Rams defence. And we move on, obviously, to the, you know, nitty-gritty. We've still obviously got a bit of a gap now between now and the Super Bowl. But obviously, for those of you, uh, we've called it on Friday. We have the Pro Bowl tomorrow. We've got Senior Bowl on Sunday, which is something I very much, you know, obviously doing the college podcast. Um, yeah. What, one thing to enjoy. mention about Senior Bowl, just while we're on the subject, is yeah. that we already know about the NFL officials who, who do NFL officiating week in, week out. Yeah. There is something called the Officiating Development Program, which the NFL put together in order to groom the people who are going to be the next tier of NFL mm. officials. So yeah. if you watched tomorrow's Senior Bowl, then you will actually see referees on that officiating development program. They are already college officials working Division One games like the Big Ten games and things. So they're already at the top of the college ranks, but they are the next sort of uh, ranks of people that will be the candidates for selection when positions come up in the NFL. And there will be positions. So we've got retiring officials in the NFL um, so yep. there will be people coming up and and these are the people that you can look to to actually say right okay how how good are these people which are the next rank up exactly and i do apologize i think i uh, i got my um, senior bowl and uh, pro bowls mixed up so <laughs> college no you you're right there is a senior bowl um, senior bowl tomorrow and pro bowl on sunday isn't it pro bowl sunday right. yeah i think i mixed up the dates but um yeah obviously the senior bowl tomorrow We'll have a number of the starting uh, potential QBs for future NFL franchises, um, you know, playing tomorrow. Um, so that's going to be, you know, very exciting. So I recommend anyone to watch that. Yeah, um, and then obviously the Pro Bowl is a bit of fun, isn't it, really? Yeah. Uh, we've seen Unlike all that. But... Unlike the Pro Bowl, where they're not really playing for anything meaningful, these these no. players in the Senior Bowl are playing for their future lives exactly. um, in the NFL. So, yeah. uh, you know, it means something to them. <laughs> it definitely is, because draft stock at the minute, we you know, there's so much, you know, talk on who the number one QB is in the draft. Uh, there's not really, you know, compared to what we've had over the last few years, we're not really sport for choice, so it's going to be very <laughs> exciting. But... Um, I mean, Super Bowl, Roger, we've got the Bengals and the Rams. Who, who's your money on then for this? Well, I've had the, the Bengals through the the, the earlier rounds, um, mm. and, and, and I haven't done great. So this is not me indicating that I'm a great um, pundit. Um, I, I'm, I'm just about above 50%. But the Bengals have been the team that have been holding me up on the, that side of the field. And yeah. um, so I, I'm going with the Bengals because they've, they've done well for me. Um, and yeah. I'd like to see them win. Um, I have a great deal of respect for Sean McKay um, because I, I think it's a yeah. great guy. And mm -hmm. when I've seen him live interviews, he's always impressed me. Um, yeah. But I, my heart 
is with the underdog. And I think Cincinnati, the underdog yeah. here, and I like the underdog winning. So for me, Cincinnati, it's a long time since they have had a chance at it. The fact that they can yep. go, you know, so many years without it, they deserve it. And um, I, I would like to see them win it. Yeah, 100%. Um, I'm my boy, obviously, the Rams fan, Kira, he's a, it's a funny story. So when we did the predictions, um, as soon as the playoff brackets were made, he, he had Bengals going to the Super Bowl from day, you know, from that particular onset. He was like, look, the Bengals are going to go through, Dad. Being a Rams fan, you'd think he'd pick Rams on the other end, but he picked Green Bay. Yeah, so, I did um, the same. <laughs> yeah, so he had Green Bay and the Bengals as the Super Bowl. Uh, and I think, I can't remember if he said Bengals would win, but it'll be, it'll be it's quite funny though. He, he's happy. Um, he gets to see his Rams in the Super Bowl. And obviously we've got, thankfully, we've got half term the next day. So they have a week off school. So he oh, gets to great. watch get, it live. Get them to sleep, yeah. Yeah, get them both to sleep. Uh, they'll, they'll watch it live. Uh, they watched. They watched it last year, but obviously the scenario was different. Then with school shut, you know, you could kind of afford to do that because you didn't have to be in a school <laughs> setting. Um, but this time it is going to be nice. We're going to have a good family time. And, you know, uh, for me uh, personally, I, I, I'd love the Bengals to win it. Don't get me wrong. Uh, you know, I have friends who are Bengals fans. But at the same time, I think I have to have some sort of loyalty to my boy as well. And <laughs> I know I, he, he was happy for me when the Bucks had won the Super Bowl. He, he was really happy for me. So I think, you know, it's a, I should do the same for him, really, shouldn't I? Yeah, I agree. If the Bengals yeah. won, it wouldn't be, I, I wouldn't be upset, put it that way. It's one of them. I'm excited <laughs> to see a good game, to be honest. So um, no doubt we're going to be talking about this. Um, on the final officiating podcast of the season. Uh, that'll be straight after the Super Bowl. Remember, guys, you can see all the video footage of the clips um, of everything we've talked about today. So that'll give a clear indication of what, um, you know, Roger is trying to explain to you guys. If you have any sort of further questions or any ideas that you want us to do with the off-season, because I know I was talking to Roger and saying that, you know, it seems a bit of a shame to have such a gap between, you know, the seasons, et cetera, you, you know, the season starting again in September. So maybe there's something we could do, maybe try and get up some interviews or, you know, lined up with, with people. So yeah, just watch this space, I guess, isn't it, Roger? Absolutely. Yeah. We'll have a, yeah. a few surprise guests on and, uh, and chat about officiating and uh, their experiences and some good tales to be told. Exactly. Cause you don't hear that from their side. Do you, you always hear about the player's story you know, officials matter as well. And I, I'm quite excited just to hear what some of them have to say. So, yeah, thanks very much, guys, uh, for listening. And thank you, Roger, again, for giving your Friday evening away to do this podcast. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.